Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about how Arizona is managing the influx of migrants into this country, both today and in the future. We'll chat first with Arizona Democratic Congressman Greg Stanton, and later our in-house reporter Jeanette Hinkle about a new facility for asylum seekers in Phoenix. There's been an uptick in migration from Central American countries, mostly Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. So, Ron, give us a background of how Arizona has been dealing with this surge of migrants who are arriving at the U.S.-Mexico border, some of whom are coming seeking asylum from their poverty-stricken countries in those three Central American countries. There's a process in dealing with all this, and it's pretty complicated, but here's the gist of it if they're caught or turn themselves over to Border Patrol agents. Typically, a migrant will enter a Customs and Border Protection holding facility, that's a CBP facility. They work with U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, to process these migrants. ICE then either keeps them in detention, usually single adult males, releases them into the community, especially migrant families, or if they're minors, hands them over to the custody of Health and Human Services, known as HHS. After that, they'll be released into the community while their case is under review. Or if there are children who are unaccompanied, they'll go to a facility under the control of HHS. CBP and HHS are separate federal agencies, so the HHS facility is then in charge of helping these children find long-term homes. Sometimes they even find real family members. Let's talk about why we're talking about this issue again now. So the news is twofold. Phoenix is opening its first ever non-governmental organization to house and assist migrant families, emphasis on the non-governmental part of that. Second, Phoenix is on the short list of cities that could receive a new federally operated health and human services detention facility that would hold migrant children. It was just this month that Arizona made headlines for its poor treatment of migrant children in its Customs and Border Patrol facilities in Yuma. We'll put a link to that article in the show notes. And last year, Arizona was in the national news for scandals you may remember over its treatment of child migrants at various Southwest Key locations. And those are the centers that uh, contract with HHS. And finally, of course, Migrant treatment in CBP facilities in Clint, Texas, made headlines over the last few weeks. Recently, there was a congressional hearing about this that included Republican representatives from Arizona, Andy Biggs and Debbie Lesko. Here to talk about that with us is Representative and former Phoenix Mayor Greg Stanton. He was the only Arizona lawmaker to tour the Migrant Detention Center in Clint, Texas recently. Representative Stanton, we want to hear from you about your trip to the facility in Clint because we want to get a sense if, you know, a child detention center were to open up in Arizona, what lessons might you take from your experience uh, touring this facility and how might they apply to Arizona? So just to start out, when you went to Clint, what were you expecting to see? Well, obviously I had read the reports about how poor the conditions were uh, in Clint. 
uh, and El Paso uh, at the Border Patrol stations there. So unfortunately, when I went there, I was expecting to be uh, angry and frustrated by what I uh, saw. And uh, I unfortunately, my expectations were met. It was a very, very difficult circumstances to visit uh, those facilities. Uh, they were, it's more like prison-like facilities, is fair to say, even for the children that uh, have to stay there. Um, I'm worried that when members of Congress went, we had, we had more than a dozen members that did attend at the request of our colleague, uh, Congresswoman Escobar uh, from El Paso. We had a large delegation. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that uh, the conditions may have been sanitized a little bit, but even what we saw was very difficult. Uh, prison-like setting, uh, inadequate uh, shower facilities for the children, certainly inadequate playground areas for the uh, children. These were not intended for long-term stays. And as you know, children are only supposed to stay in these facilities for very short periods of time. And unfortunately, they're having to stay there a long period of time. And the conditions are just not acceptable. So, Congressman, tell us a bit about what you saw. You, you've described it as prison-like more than once. Give us some color about what it was visually that, that stood out to you and, and some of the more striking moments there. Well, the Border Patrol facilities in El Paso and Clint, which are very close to each other, right on the border there. Um, look, they, these are you know, facilities for the Border Patrol agents. They also have detention facilities inside the, the building. So when you, when you walk, once you get through the area meant for kind of administrative offices or areas for meetings for the Border Patrol uh, agents, once you get into the detention area, I mean, it, it, it look and feels like a prison. It's an enclosed cells. Uh, there were, there were uh, too many people uh, in, inside those uh, cells, so the conditions in that regard aren't strong. Um, now, there weren't a lot of people there at the time that the members of Congress came to visit. Uh, apparently, just weeks before, there had been hundreds and hundreds of people at that facility. So we went outside and we did visit the tents that people were staying under uh, for, for uh, periods of time that they're in detention. But there weren't very many people in the tent facilities at the time. They were inside in the, what I would describe as the kind of prison-feeling uh, uh, facilities. And again, these facilities are meant for short-term stays, but unfortunately, because of the current situation, People, including children, are there for long periods of time, and that can have very, very traumatic impact on those children's lives. Can you give me a sense of how old these children were? And, I mean, were there obvious signs of trauma or maltreatment? Well, it's hard for me to say that. Look, the children were probably middle school and maybe high school at the particular facilities that we, uh, at we saw. Um, we didn't have a chance to interact directly with uh, with the children, so we could only see them inside this cell-like in, uh, environment. But, you know, you, 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 you can hear from uh, experts in the field that even staying in an environment like a prison-like uh, experience, where there really isn't adequate recreation areas for these uh, children, for them to stay there an extended period of time after they've made a long journey from the Northern Triangle countries, where most of them uh, have come from, um, you know, it doesn't, any child expert would tell you that's going to create real trauma for these children. So how, if at all, did this experience color or change your view of how the U.S. is handling this whole crisis? I think it's fair to say for me and, and all of the members, we're pretty angry that this is the uh, condition. Look, you know, how we got here is a, is a complicated uh, story. First and foremost, we should have passed a long time ago comprehensive immigration reform. There's no 
better example of, of how Washington doesn't work than the inability for Democrats and Republicans to come together and reach real compromise on the issue of comprehensive immigration uh, reform. Going back to the migrant yeah. facilities, have you visited um, any CBP facilities here in Arizona? Yes, I did. Uh, just a couple of months ago, we went down to Tucson and Nogales and visited facilities uh, there. Um, we did cross the border and we visited with the Keno Border Institute and saw the, the families that were a part of what the Trump administration is calling the metering policy, where that families are trying to seek asylum in the United States are told to wait in place uh, in Mexico, some for many, many uh, months. Um, and so we did have a chance to visit those facilities as well. And what were the conditions there? Well, we didn't have as much of a chance to see the individuals that were staying in detention. But in terms of the, 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 the cell-like facilities, they were there as well. Um, and so it's important that uh, we have a chance to monitor and provide oversight, uh, obviously in all parts of the border, not just in El Paso, but here in Arizona as well. So I'm concerned about the conditions of those facilities in Arizona as well. So, Congressman, as I understand it, you didn't know about this proposed new detention facility in Arizona until the AP reported on it. And you represent one of the most important districts in a border state. How is that possible? Look, as a member of Congress, it is incredibly frustrating that there is so little transparency in this entire experience. So you are exactly right. Uh, we heard about it from the news media that they are looking to Arizona and potentially the Phoenix area to place one of these facilities. But look, lack of transparency in our system is nothing new. Uh, as you know, members of Congress have even asked the ability to do um, inspections of these CBP facilities without prior notice so that we can actually do real oversight and that's not been allowed. We're gonna, I support a bill, and we're gonna to try to pass a bill that would require that. Even on our tour of the El Paso and Clint facilities, we were not allowed to bring our phones in and they requested that we not even speak to uh, people that are seeking asylum. These are not people that have broken American law. These are people seeking to enter America, utilizing existing American law through our asylum system. So lack of transparency um, permeates this entire system, including this most recent um, uh, announcement that they are looking at a to build a facility here in Arizona. That obviously would have very clear impacts, uh, potentially on neighborhoods, definitely on uh, towns or cities, depending on where this facility could go. Is there anything that you can do or that you plan to do to voice your concerns about this? Yes, and number one, I think Arizona or any place in America wants no part of a facility that might be involved in separating children from family units. That goes against American values. And that's, that's something that's overarching here with this entire situation of how we're treating people that are coming to America seeking political asylum is that the conditions at these facilities, and I'm concerned about the one that may be built in Arizona, that the conditions of these facilities just fall short of meeting American values, what we expect, how we treat our fellow human beings, particularly those that have broken no American law. Congressman, I took a trip down to the border with uh, Andy Biggs and, and some of his Republican colleagues to uh, hear them venting about their frustrations with border control and border security issues. 
I'm picking up the frustration uh, that you're feeling as a Democrat looking at the detention of these folks and, and children in particular. How is it that you can try and break through to do something to get the both parties to talk to each other and meaningfully engage on this issue where it seems like both sides talk past each other? Well, when I took my trip to the border, we spoke, of course, with uh, people in the customs area. We spoke to people in the border patrol area. And of course, what they want is more boots on the ground, more people to help do the, the difficult work that they do. And they want more investment in technology because technology can be such a force uh, uh, multiplier. That's why it's such a frustration that the Trump administration is so focused on building a symbolic wall that will actually have no practical uh, impact and be incredibly expensive and is not even what the people at the border uh, want. Obviously, you then you layer on top of that uh, these threats of closing down the border or issuing tariffs, um, uh, et cetera. We need to make sure as we're dealing with the humanitarian issues at the border, we're not doing so in a way that hurts trade with Mexico, which is such an important part of our uh, economy. Look, it was just a few years ago that there was an agreement, a bipartisan agreement on comprehensive immigration reform. That was led by our Republican senators Senator McCain and Senator Flake. It took a lot of political courage for them to do that. The outline of that proposal is still something that should be looked at right now in a bipartisan way by this Congress, uh, allowing for a tough but fair path to citizenship, get people out of the shadows. It would be a great shot in the arm economically for the state of Arizona, but also add for additional resources for border security. The outline of that agreement uh, is still the basis of a bipartisan agreement uh, today. We have to you know, kind of look beyond partisan politics and really what is in the best economic interest of Arizona. And there's no doubt that reaching a bipartisan agreement on comprehensive immigration reform, what the Arizona Chamber and other groups so desperately want, is in the best interest of both political parties. Well, thank you so much, Congressman, for sharing uh, your experiences uh, with these facilities. And we look forward to catching up with you on this issue soon. Thanks for having me on. Our second guest today is Jenny Hankel, who is a Pulliam Fellow reporting on our politics team. Thanks so much for having me. We want to talk with you a bit about an aspect of this issue that's towards the end of this process. While migrants wait for their deportation or asylum hearings, they're released into the U.S. So the news you're bringing us is about a Phoenix school building that has been converted into a kind of shelter for migrant adults and families who have been released. Tell us more. Yeah, so a large coalition of nonprofits and faith groups are joining together to open what they're calling a welcome center for asylum seekers, and it's going to be in a Phoenix elementary school that was closed down in 2007. The shelter can hold up to 300 people, and the aid groups that are running the shelter will offer a bunch of different services for the asylum-seeking families that stay there. They'll get meals, first aid, and health screenings, help booking travel to their next destinations in the U.S., and legal advice and a few other different services. Um, and the city recently approved the zoning change that will allow the shelter to open, and then the school district approved a lease agreement with the coalition um, to allow them to open the shelter in the school. 
For many years, officials have usually dropped asylum seekers off at churches, but if they're overloaded, they've dropped them off at bus stations too. So uh, they've coped with this thing in the past. Why are we building this thing now? So the short answer is really just that the local support network is totally at capacity. Um, up until now, churches and nonprofits have been as- accepting asylum seekers from immigration authorities, um, but they really just can't handle any more people. Um, a couple of stats just to illustrate this. According to CBP, compared to last year, the number of families apprehended at the southwest border in June jumped by 392% in the Yuma sector and by 267% in the Tucson sector compared to last year. And most of these families are coming from Guatemala and Honduras. Um, And reporter Dan Gonzalez has been reporting on this, but with this volunteer network at capacity, immigration authorities are dropping these asylum-seeking families off at the bus stations. And the coalition is basically arguing that this shelter is an urgent need because With the summer heat, um, families can't wait outside of these bus stations. Um, And since they don't have tickets, they aren't allowed to wait in the air conditioning, so they're outside. Um, And at the hearing that I went to, um, a few of the coalition members mentioned that there hasn't been an overnight shelter like this for asylum-seeking families in Phoenix before. Um, There hasn't been a centralized location for these families to be dropped off. So we've heard quite a bit about this crisis, really, of capacity that a lot of these nonprofit organizations have had. Uh, A lot of the church and faith-based communities have been complaining of. Our congressional delegation has been um, really trying to help local entities out on this front to try to figure out what they can do. It seems to me that this is so odd that this is the first time that this is happening. Why is that? So basically, this has been a need for a very long time. Um, What the coalition uh, members said at the hearings is basically they need a place for people to go overnight. There has not been a centralized location uh, in Phoenix for migrant families to stay overnight. Um, There are similar shelters in Tucson and Yuma, but not in Phoenix. So there really isn't a good answer for why there hasn't been a shelter like this up until now. But the surge has really kind of pushed the local aid uh, local aid groups to a breaking point, and they're saying, you know, this is an urgent need. We need to do it now. Who makes up this coalition? So the main group leading it is called the International Rescue Committee, but there's um, close to 20 other groups that are involved in supporting um, the International Rescue Committee. They're made up of faith groups, churches, LDS, um, temples, other churches. Um, it's really a wide group of people um, and also other immigrant aid uh, organizations in Phoenix in the area. And how were they able to use a public school for this project? So the coalition was looking around for a site to open um, a welcome center like this for a while and they approached the Phoenix Elementary School District number one uh, to ask if they could lease the building. Um, And the board approved the lease, and Superintendent Larry Weeks told me that the district is a district of immigrants and that the goals of the schools in that district is really to help families. So the missions of the coalition and the district align in the eyes of the the school board members that voted to sign the lease. Um, And additionally, they said that it's much better for the district to have a, the school building occupied versus vacant. Okay, so that all sounds well and good, but what exactly is this going to cost and who's paying for that? 
So the coalition will be paying most of the costs associated with operating and upgrading the building into this different use than it's been used for in the past. Um, they'll be paying $500 in rent every month. And then the district will pay a little bit over $76,000 to upgrade this fire panel. And they said they'd have to do that either way if the coalition moved in there or not. Um, and then the district is also going to be paying 10% uh, of the utilities, repair, and maintenance costs associated with the shelter. How are people in the community reacting to this? So the district and the coalition have said that they haven't really had any negative feedback, but at the zoning change hearing, some of the neighbors did express concerns, uh, mainly about what they said was a lack of transparency in the process. There are some neighbors of the Ann Ott School itself, um, and that neighborhood has really seen a lot of disinvestment since the city of Phoenix decided to relocate people because of airport noise. So their concerns really stem from a, a lack of investment in the neighborhood in general. Um, and then they came to sort of voice concerns about that at the zoning hearing. But these neighbors uh, have spoken with the coalition and the district, and they're going to be working together to sort of address some of the issues they have. But if the neighbors want to, they do have until July 17th to file an appeal of the zoning decision. And um, that while that appeal appeals process uh, goes on, the shelter can likely continue to operate, but it's still we're still waiting to see if they will file an appeal or not. All right. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can listeners follow you on Twitter? I'm at Jenny underscore Hinkle, and that's J-E-N-N-Y, and then last name H-I-N-K-L-E. All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. First thing, the new housing facility for migrants that Ginny has been reporting on, that's going to draw a lot of heat. I suspect that given the July 4th break and people being on their summer breaks, they're not yet fully tuned into how public resources are being used for this effort. And I suspect people will have some problems with it. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Um, this is going to become perhaps Exhibit A for President Trump making the claim when he comes to Phoenix, and you know he will, um, that this makes Phoenix a sanctuary city and that the city is complicit in dealing with the migrant crisis. So uh, this is a very politically charged issue, and, and to see public resources being used in any way to accommodate these folks is is seems inevitable that it will be exploited or at least uh, discussed and kicked around for quite a bit. And we've seen accusations against politicians about, you know, Arizona being a sanctuary city or harboring illegal immigrants by hardliner uh, immigration uh, enforcement activists from outside of the state. So one other takeaway for me is also how this thing was rolled out. It seems pretty curious the way that uh, the delegation came to know of it. What, what did we know? Okay, so you're talking about this new center that could be housed here. Um, HHS is eyeing Arizona. Uh, all they will say is localities in Phoenix as a potential site for a massive child migrant detention facility. What's interesting, I think, about this is that the state's senior senator, Kirsten Sinema, 
doesn't really know anything about it. Neither do any of the other members of Congress from Arizona that we've been able to talk to. And when news broke earlier this month that Arizona could get one, everyone seemed to be in the dark. And this is a clear departure from normal or standard traditions of informing delegations of everything ranging from grant money for science and technology efforts, even small amounts, to really big issues like this one, which would cause uh, some pretty fiery battles, I would think, over where it would go and uh, whether or not we should have one at all. I guess my big question is where do we go from here? Well, the issue isn't going away. We know that the immigration and border security issues are central to the president's reelection messaging. And um, it's also critical to Democrats as they try and grapple with this issue, too. We've seen a congressional hearing, as I said earlier, that featured two of our members. And um, there was recently the vote in the Senate and, and the House regarding $4.7 billion for local governments to try and address um, the uh, the crisis at the border that is of, you know, it's we're still bickering over how that even came to be. So this is going to stick with us, and I don't see this one getting away from us anytime soon. That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winchett. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley, with oversight from Katie O'Connell and Kayla White. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week. Boom. <laughs> oh.